Welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast, the podcast in which Stephen Altrogi, Barnabas Piper, and Ted Cluck cheerfully rant about all the things that don't matter all that much. And now, buckle up for today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Happy Rant Podcast. I'm Ted Cluck, joined as always by my uh, good friends and associates, uh, Barnabas Piper and uh, Ronald J. Martin. Uh, gentlemen, we've got a special episode on tap today. Uh, I am here in my uh, vintage U2 t-shirt, um, drinking a, a steaming cup of fair trade coffee, because today is uh, Emergent Church, Where Are They Now? Um, this was a, a topic idea thrown out by, uh, by Ronnie off the air last week, and um, what we've decided to do uh, in true media fashion is uh, take a look back at the Emergent Church. Now, guys, uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, a number of years ago, uh, I wrote a book called Why We're Not Emergent by Two Guys Who Should Be. And I wrote it with a guy who sadly just really didn't, didn't go on to do a whole lot. I mean, unlike me, I have this podcast, which is you know just a rocket ship toward fame and, and stardom and really all of my dreams coming true. And, and you know, the other Ted, guy... Who was, that, who was that kid that wrote that book with it, you? His name was Kevin DeYoung. You know, oh, I don't think and I've heard of him. I think if you Google him, you could probably find just like one or two things out there maybe by him or, or about him that he's but done. But he never really wrote a lot of stuff after that book, did he? No, and by after, if you mean not in like the, the 15 minutes after, but then after that 15 minutes, he wrote a ton of things. So, like 200 more books or something? Yeah, so I yeah. joke. Kevin DeYoung actually went on to uh, to do great things after Why We're Not Emergent. Um, and do, do you I, think he went on to do great things because he wasn't emergent? Uh, I, I think I, I think so, man. I mean, I think all, all kidding aside, I think that book was was totally right place, right time in terms of the kind of people that we're going to be talking about today, you know, and and all the names that we're going to throw out today uh, in our little retrospective, um, you know, they're all people who are kind of peaking and cresting right around that the the time that our book came out. So I think. Which, I think it was a combination which, which of which means that we're catching them on a distinct downward slide in many cases. I didn't want yes. to say that, but but maybe we are. You know, I, I think it's important just before we uh, before we get into this because there's going to be a good bit of of haha today. But uh, before we get into it, just want to make clear that we are not uh, the arbiters of where anyone is at spiritually. Uh, I think it's important to to say that, and also we're hopeful for all these people. You know, we yeah, we're simply uh, the arbiters of what we read on websites. We're the arbiters of what we read on websites and and what kinds of titles and so forth we think sound ridiculous, but uh, which means but everything today is total one hundred percent truth. Absolutely, because because yeah. those are the things we are arbiting or arbitering. So Absolute guys, let's uh, let's jump in, man. Let's hop right into this thing. Um, we we sort of ran down this list of names, and I'm I'm hunched over my desk here looking at a, a tiny post-it note because this is what I wrote all the names on last time. And uh, and I circled the name Robbie B. Uh, Rob Bell obviously is. Uh, Did you actually write it as Robbie B? I wrote it as Robbie B, dude. Excellent. I wrote it as Robbie B because, um, yeah, interesting, interesting history with Robbie B. So we recently moved to the south uh, from Michigan, where uh, we lived in the middle of the state. But Robbie B. kind of, you know, experienced his uh, his rocket ship rise to fame on the west side of the state, um, where he used to he used to come and preach. And do college chapels at the college where I used to teach up there. And he would show up, you guys, and he would walk on a stage at chapel with like his his newborn baby like swaddled to him, 
You know what I mean? You know those like, those <laughs> like the baby, burlap, Bjor- like, like the baby Bjorn thing. Or yeah, something? like those Bjorn yes. like swaddling things that you can use, and and of like course, the shepherd's like, pouch of like baby carriers. Yeah, like the shepherd's pouch for babies. Yeah, the, you know ba- what I mean? the baby pouch. So he would like lash the baby to himself with this thing, and and he'd go up on stage, and everybody was just like, oh, you know, what an amazing guy, what an amazing dad. Which well, I mean, what's the vibe with bringing your baby on stage for a talk? Though. Dude, honestly, I think it's the cheapest thing you can do to get people to like you. You Especially know what I mean? Especially the women. Uh, it's like bringing a kitten onto the stage. Also, you know? except less distracting as long as the baby's asleep. Because kittens are like funny and they bounce all over the place. Babies just – you can't even yeah. see that it's a real baby unless it like cries or something. I mean right, that may so have the, not been a real child, Big T. Also, also possible – prop baby. Also possible his babysitter canceled on him. That's right. true. That's true. At any rate, I think it was a technique. I think it was like a rhetorical device in this case. And uh, like it or not, it worked um, because this guy grew in popularity. I I gather from people who were around at the time uh, and who went to hear him speak that I think early in his career, he was really solid. You know, he was considered, um, I think, just a lights out communicator, you know, somebody who could captivate a room and, and who had a big personality that people were drawn to, obviously. But um I, I think initially, at least, he was solid. Uh, he founded Mars Hill Church, um, which he put in like an old shopping mall. Like, Ronnie, the kind of mall that we would frequent on the road, baby. You know, the kind of like Absolutely. enclosed, like retro 80s mall with a roof. Um, his church bought one of these empty malls and like he turned it into into the church. So like you would uh, – I went to church there once. You would go and drop your kid off like at the – you know, where the baby gap used to be. And then you'd walk to like where Sabaro's used to be. And that's where like church was, you know, <laughs> no. Did, wasn't he one of the first guys to sort of preach in the round where like yeah. the stage was in the middle and everybody was around him. So it was sort of like this, this, I'm sure there was some sort of spiritual s- symbolism that I'm wait. Missing, was he but, doing that? I didn't know he was doing. Oh, that. absolutely. Okay. I'm pretty sure he, he did theater in the round, man. It was a real, you would love it. Actually. It was a real lo-fi like room in that, like there was just a platform in the middle and then a bunch of chairs on on yeah. any side of it. And um and yeah, he would just he would walk around up there with no notes and just riff, you know. Um and the guy was incredible at riffing, you know what I'm saying? It, I mean it was great improv. It was great. Okay, let me ask you this, Big T, not to cut yeah. in, but I, I have heard you know, I've heard very little, believe it or not, of Robbie B sermonizing or even talk. I, I've really only heard him give interviews and talk, and I've never, ever, ever gotten the vibe. I've heard a little bit of preaching. But I've never gotten that vibe that he's been this incredible communicator. Now, I've heard that from everybody. So I'm not, I'm not denying that or doubting it. But let me ask you, like, what, what yeah. made him so compelling? Well, I, I think I would add as a caveat, Big R, that he wasn't that compelling to me either. Um, okay. I mean, he, here's the thing about Grand Rapids, you guys. Oh, go he, ahead, Ted. Here's the thing that you got to understand about that area. I mean, that is an area that is steeped in, like, kind of pietistic, legalistic conservatism. Like right. st- like stiff Dutch reformed kind stiff of. Stiff Dutch reformed, man. Like don't even put gas in your car on Sunday. Like, right. you know, everybody's cheap. Everybody's frugal. It, it, there, there's just a very sort of defined way of doing things. And I think Rob hit the scene at a time where people were really ready for something different. And they so were he could do really- anything and come off like quote unquote edgy. Right. I mean, you're doing theater in the round. You're walking around up there in skinny jeans and a cowboy shirt. I mean, you're you're a different guy. You know what I right. mean? Well, he. And, I mean, he he was to church 
in what the I guess that would have been like the late nineties, early two thousands. Late nineties, early two thousands. Like, yeah. What what Bill Hybels was in the eighties. In the eighties, you know absolutely. the the attractional sort of that attractional megachurch model. Now I would venture to say that guys like Hybels and Warren and whatever have maintained their uh, orthodoxy better than mm-hmm. Bell. But yeah, it's yeah. it was purely the fresh voice thing. He absolutely. I don't think he was a great communicator. I think. Like I, I, I heard him, he came into chapels at Wheaton where he graduated, where I graduated. So I have the honor of, of being a fellow alum, uh, yeah. with, with Robbie B, but I, I never came away blown away by it. I just felt like, I felt like I looked around and watched people swoon and was like, I don't know what you guys are looking at. Cause this guy's just stalking around on the stage being very dramatic. And it felt like it was a lot more style than substance to me. I totally agree. Which begs the question, do people just want to swoon? You know, the answer, I, I, well, right. the answer to okay. that is yes. Yeah, well, okay, I think people but I'm are fine with that. Like, I don't, I don't. I'm not saying I agree with that technique, right? I'm, you know, especially when somebody is actually, you know, preaching the word. I'm simply saying that, like, I can, you know, I can be a little taken back in a good way by style and say, oh, yeah. look, like I get it. Like, there's something compelling stylistically about what he's doing. I guess just in the few times I've heard him, like, I don't know. I mean, it's all subjective, right? It just didn't strike yeah. me as that. And yeah. and it's not because I'm trying not to like it. Like I'm I think fine. He was with just the he was the Robbie right B. thing, yeah, for that audience at that time. You know, okay. you had a bunch of people who were ready to sort of halfway rebel. You know what I'm saying? And I think Robbie made them feel like they were rebelling in sort of an exciting way, um, but not in a full on rebellion kind of way. Uh, and until- then Numa just stratosphered him. Then Numa kind of stratosphered him. I think just the book stratosphered him a little bit. You know, this was. This was at a time, guys, where there weren't a lot of young, different Christian writers out there. You know, uh, Velvet Elvis came out, when was that? Like early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. It was, I'm pretty sure it was when I was in college or just out of college. So yeah, like early 2000s, somewhere right in there. And I read it, and I actually thought most of it was really interesting. Like his right. take on things was really but, – but then you just get to these one or two parts where you're like, he's trying so hard to be interesting that he forgot to speak the truth. Yeah, definitely. and and that's and that's I feel like that was kind of where he he ended up going full time was just all interesting. No more things need to be true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, in in where are they now? Fashion. Since we've got some background on Robbie B. Robbie B. is in L.A. Um, he stepped down from Mars Hill, I think, um, in the aftermath of a book called Love Wins, in which he. Um, Questioned the the reality of of hell or eternal punishment. Um, I think that was too much for uh, for some people in his church. He stepped down, uh, moved to L.A. where he was going to pursue a television career. And uh, I think he had a, a couple of TV pilots that really just haven't gotten off the ground. There was going to be a a sitcom uh, in the works that didn't get off the ground. Uh, there was going to be serious. Talk- I didn't know about the sitcom. I only knew about like the the talk showy like Oprah connection stuff. Yeah, no, there was supposed to be like a narrative show based on him um, that he was co-writing with some guy who was like tangentially connected to the show Lost, I think. Was um, he going to be acting in it? Does he consider himself an actor? No, no, I don't think he was going to be acting in it. And he was I, just I writing it, think, producing it? I don't even think they got to the point where they were casting it because they never got greenlit to do a pilot. Okay. Um, so they shifted gears and that's where the the talk showy Oprah Network sort of thing came about. And um, and he's also doing this is funny. He's doing like inspirational slash productivity type talks at the Viper Room in L.A. What is the um, Viper Room? Oh, that's, I did hear about that. Dude, that it's a club where uh, 
It's the club where Joaquin Phoenix died, or not Joaquin Phoenix, River, River Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's it's <laughs> it's a place with a a rich history. Yeah, yeah I mean, owned history. by Johnny Depp. Oh, it's where River Phoenix overdosed. Yes, dude. So if you're the Viper Room and now you're you're booking out like space to Rob Bell to give talks on like how to unleash your creativity. I mean, is this proof that you've jumped the shark as kind of an edgy, dangerous nightclub? If you're if you're now like. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a guy with an aerobics instructor microphone walking around like flipping pages on a on an easel. You know what I mean? Have you officially are are you done as a as a nightclub when that happens? Yeah, I would I would I would give an affirmative to that. Yes. See, all theology aside, my concern here is for the Viper Room. You know? Absolutely. And and where they're going as a it, nightclub. It was doing so great before he. Showed it was doing up. so well. Exactly. Such a rich such a rich history. Exactly. Well, guys, I know our time is short today because we've got uh, we've got things on the on the back end schedule wise. So let's uh, let's move on, man. Let's let's talk about a couple of uh, a couple of guys who are kind of in the same genre, if you will. Uh, Brian McLaren and Doug Paget. Barnabas, these were yours, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I got to uh, well. So if I graduated from the same college as Rob Bell, I grew up in the same hometown where Doug Paget now uh, does his thing and has for a long time, and that's Minneapolis. So he's. He started a church called Solomon's Porch. I think it was around, also around the same time, late 90s, early 2000s, back when it was really cool to name churches things like Solomon's Porch, which mm-hmm. I, for the life of me, I don't know what the symbolism of that is because I don't think Solomon had a porch. So yeah. um not sure what happened, except maybe it was the place where he threatened to cut the baby in half or something. I'm not sure. Maybe Solomon had a porch. I mean, he had a... <laughs> I mean, he I had mean, everything. He, he had dude, a house. The dude I mean, was the yeah. richest man in the world. I'm sure he he had you know the porches on a thousand houses or something like that. But he probably had a ton of amazing porches. Let's not do that to Solomon. Can we just assume he had a porch? Can we give him a porch? Okay, Let's give him a porch. All right, porch it is. And now Doug runs it. Um, <laughs> he's, he still has. He, he has moved from soul patch to more of like a more of a distinguished goatee look, but still. Harkening back to the Soul Patch days, which was which was a, a hallmark of his, he had a uh, very distinctive look. It was sort of uh, like your youth group leader. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, that, well that if he had a goatee, he it was very distinctive youth group leader. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So here's here's how he describes himself on his website. This is verbatim. I'm not making these things up. He is an ultra marathoner, a goodness <laughs> conspirator, and a possibility evangelist who is seeking to partner with entrepreneurs and movers, blah, blah, blah. He, he is a quintessential sort of progressive, social justice-minded uh, church leader. And, but, but the phrases goodness conspirator and possibility mm. evangelist are... Um, That's outstanding. They're, they're solid gold is what those are. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, he, when and if you go to the about section on his page, he basically creates a, a a fictional scenario in which you and he get left like in the kitchen at a at a house party or something, and and you're awkwardly forced to introduce yourself. And so he he creates wow. the story that way, and it actually made me feel very awkward. And like I, I hope I'm never stuck in a kitchen with Doug. Patton you get left with Doug. It's like the left emergent behind. left behind series. Yeah. yeah. So. So Padgett is uh, he's I didn't I didn't see anything theological on his page at all. 
you know, there's some yeah. allusions to Christianity or, or some statements about Christianity, but nothing, nothing theological. I didn't dig real, real deep there, but it's, it's all very much about love and justice. So very yeah. sort of your, your, your progressive drumbeat, if you will. And did he kind of fly that flag a little bit higher than some of the other emergent dudes? You mean previously? Yeah, I mean, like, kind of in the heyday, was he the guy that was really, really banging on the social justice drum? I don't, you know, I don't recall. Like, I feel like he was always a little bit quieter than some of the other guys. Like, okay. he was somebody whose name would get thrown in because he was an influencer. But he he wasn't, he was never a big name like, say, Rob Bell or, like, my next guy, Brian McLaren. Those guys mm-hmm. were, like, the names. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And I don't think, uh, Padgett never wrote any books that sold, like, you no, know, he like never crazy. sold, man. He never moved product. So, so do we know where he's at theologically at all now? He's pretty vague, uh, okay. which which means I, we should probably refrain from judging him. He He's very clear that he, he calls himself progressive. So there will be people who automatically assume that he's a leftist nut job who doesn't love Jesus. But that – but progressive can also mean just progressing into culture in a lot of ways too. So I would be loath to say much about him until, unless I read something more distinct. You know what we can't judge though is fruity titles. If you were going to, if you're going to give yourself like a fruity job title like that, what would it be? Oh man. Um, Because you know what, big T leave it up to reform guys to just need something to judge. I mean, I like how you did that, man. I think I I think just go, you know what we can judge, please. We need to be judging something here. Let's go after those titles that he constructed for himself. I think if I was going to select one, it would be something like idea engineer, possibly, possibly, possibly ideation architect. Ooh, wow. Baby, that's the money. And I think Doug Padgett would hire me if I had that title. Well, Outspan. you know what? G- give yourself that title right now, Piper. I mean, what? But, what you, but, what's stopping? It? But then look the, at the platform you have. To but do then it. the little bit of reformedy side of me would judge the rest of me, and I would be in in self conflict. That's what people don't understand about reformed guys is that they're just judging themselves all the time too. Unlike Paul, we're judging ourselves all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah we we are the worst of sinners, but also better than everybody else. Right. It's a it's a complicated space to be in. We're the that. best of the worst of sinners. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. best of the worst is Precisely. sinners. That's it, man. <laughs> Maybe right. that's your title, Big R. <laughs> the be- yes, I don't mind that. Ronnie Mark, the best of the worst of sinners. Yeah. Piper, get us to McLaren. What's right. going on, Brian McLaren? So he of the like he was the quintessential emergent church guy. I feel like he's the what, guy. He, he really was, is. Wasn't the guy. he the driver of the emergent village and all of that? Like as yeah, as much as the as much as they were structureless and leaderless. He right. was he was the the formative leader of that. Kind of the elder statesman in a lot of ways. Yeah, and he he avoids titles like the plague. Mm. He is a he he just sort of lists the things he has been. So he has influenced churches. He has trained leaders. He he I guess he is an author and a communicator and a public theologian. That's what he calls himself. So he's mm. basically um, a, a talking head who yeah. who people look to for influence. But the things that I found uh, that I found really distinctly interesting about McLaren were were the two books that he highlighted, um, as well as he's very very angry at Wheaton College for uh, for considering letting go Lucretia Hawkins for saying that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. He does not like Wheaton for that purpose hmm. or for that reason. Interesting. All over his website. So he had he had he came out with a book not too long ago called "We Make the Road by Walking." <laughs> and that, I mean, 
that's an emergent title right there. But totally. the, the the theme of it is seeing the Bible through the lens of seeking aliveness. Uh-huh. Does any Gosh, of that, that's confusing. I was going to say, does any of that make sense to you? I mean, in as much as it doesn't make sense, which is what makes it feel like 10 years ago, you know? When, and I feel like that was that was sort of one of the pieces of the the initial, like, rise of the emergent church and then the eventual sort of downfall is that it was all built on these twisted ideas that didn't actually like you couldn't riddle them out but they were which means they were really intriguing up front and you ended up being like i don't even know what that means yeah it was really i mean let's be honest i mean we're talking about youth group kids just trying to be arty when really what they should have done is just been arty but kept their orthodoxy intact we can do that we can do that like 60 something so yeah he was like middle (laughs) age when he was doing all this stuff um, but still a former youth kid, you know. That's true. Yeah, and and so basically he and, – and then the second book that he's coming out with this year, so lots to look forward to, guys, is called Converting Christianity because Christianity is, is horribly wrong. And he – but the, the theme between these two is that there's a whole segment of Christianity who takes the Bible way too literally. And he looked – he calls out like Jerry Falwell Jr. and these guys – and uh, and is like the the reason the reason that they are hateful towards people is because they take the Bible too literally, and that's not how we should interpret it. So he wants to convert Christianity to to more of like just drawing out some of the themes of Scripture and essentially just pitching inerrancy. And while he's right that there are people who look at the Bible and grab a verse and say and and apply it way too literally. Uh, he is definitely throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I don't think it's Rob Bell's baby, but he is throwing out a baby with the bathwater. <laughs> Very interesting. That baby so that who was would be, who'd be Rob publishing Bell his years books? Ago is probably Piper. Who's What's publishing that? his books? Um, yeah, I I failed to check that. I I was not so interested in buying them that uh, that I that would go. Check, I know he, I know he originally published with Zondervan. Okay. Um, I'm going to check, fellas. I'm going to have our producer check that out. All right. And you can keep talking. While who was uh, yes? Thank you. Who was next? Who was next on the list? Next on the list, uh, Big R. We had you with uh, with a, a a power a power couple here in the Emergent Church, uh, Mark Driscoll and Danny Kimball. Yeah, and so yeah, so what we had talked about off the air, and you guys can feed into this a little bit, was I had a friend that was. Uh, that was uh, talking to me about Dan Kimball's church. I didn't. I didn't really know what happened to Dan Kimball. If he was, you know, if he was like Driscoll in the sense that he was part of that movement, but then just sort of backed off when it started jumping the shark, and he kind of stayed uh, orthodox and just distanced himself from that movement. You guys kind of spoken to the fact that he had done that. That's that's definitely my impression. I mean, I've had a couple interactions with him and and know a little bit about his church. And my impression is that he he's kept a lot of that sort of relational, narrative driven, our stories feeding into, but like connecting them with the gospel story as opposed to the emergent way, which was kind of there is no gospel story. Right. I think he even blurbed one of my books with Katie Y. Man, I think yeah. he blurbed like Why We Love the Church or maybe even the Emergent Church book. He blurbed. Yeah. Remember. Yeah, and I went on his I went on his church website, and I mean everything that I I sort of read a little bit into his you know his doctrinal statements, and it all it all felt really solid to me. But yeah, I think at one point you guys like way at the beginning of this emerging church thing, like the brand wasn't synonymous with you know theological kind of whackery. No, you know? the, right. the the idea was sort of humanizing Christianity. I think right. it was like it was bringing your 
your story to the table, this much more sort of community driven faith, which yeah. has a lot of strengths to it. But then guys like Driscoll and Kimball backed away when it when when my story became the gospel story, like I, I determined my own gospel and they they looked at it and said, no, there's actually a scriptural gospel there. And I don't think that's probably the best way to go. I mean, can we literally say that one of the good things that rose out of the movement is the, you know, is basically the missional movement? I mean, can we say that that's one of the good side effects that came out of the emergent church? I, yeah, I think it's I think it definitely fed into that. I think the other great thing that came out of it was Dan Kimball's hair. Oh, absolutely. Because his, you know, I mean, if you go, you go look him up, guys, Dan Kimball on Google, his hair is, uh, it's it's a work of art. It's craftsman. Nice. It's craftsmanship. Now, Big R, Danny Kimball is probably what around around our age. I mean, the I guy's still got a full lush head of hair, man. No, you know what? The site said he's actually in his mid fifties. He's wow. a little bit older. Oh yeah. my goodness! And still with the with the the lion's mane of hair on that. Yeah, guy. still. I mean, still looking forty, but but fifty five. Yeah, dude, so. rich. Rich fifty five is like regular person forty, man. Absolutely, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. So, well, guys, I got, um, I did a little, uh, you know, our, our our fifth or fourth and final in, in our in our broadcast today, um, of course, is uh, is Mark Driscoll himself, um, former Mars Hill Church senior pastor, who, which, of course, which means I think we need to title this segment with with its official name because this is a regular. Bit. We'll do it, Piper. Title it. So. Ronnie will be bringing us Drisky business for this there episode. It is. We should have a little music that comes on behind that when you say that. Dun, we don't have dun, that dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Do that again, Big T. Dun, 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 dun. Baby, speak oh, that's of music, man. I've had uh, I've had many listeners uh, ask me when it's uh, when coming. The... Okay, it's All coming. Right. Are you asking about the intro music? I am. Yeah, you okay. know what? I mean. Big R's an artist. I need time. It's coming, fellas. Dude, you need time to just kind of agonize over it and see. You know, right. plant the vision, the whole thing. Well, yeah, you know, I'm he has a, to match know. the tone of the show just so. Just so, absolutely. Right. I'm an arch- I'm an architect of sound, and yes. uh, you know that that's what I like to title myself I like after it. Pastor. All right, so this is what we got with uh, with Drisky. Um, you know, we got some recent news that came out towards the end of the year that he filed incorporation papers in Phoenix for an actual new church plant called the Trinity Church. In Arizona, I feel like you're a true investigative journalist because the whole like he filed incorporation <laughs> papers like that. Dude, I know that's the kind of thing that like Sarah Koenig does on Serial or something. Like they go digging into public records to find. Big R, I imagine stuff. you at like the the Ashland Public Library looking on like microfilm to to. to oh, absolutely! I mean, studying microfiche of I mean, the the papers. Nine minutes, yeah. the nine minutes of research I put into this at Ashland Public Library. Yeah, that's what I came up with. And so uh, with Drisky, it's just uh, he's calling it a Bible-based uh, Christian church, and that's about that, that's a, that's about all the news that came out on that. And of course, the critics, you know, some of the critics are having a little bit of a heyday with that, saying it's a little bit too early. And of course, the other big piece of news dropped that that of course Driscoll is speaking at a leadership conference at Perry Noble's church. And I, I believe the theme of the conference is how to grow your church beyond your wildest dreams. Wow. Yeah. And, and yeah, and depending on it's called, it's actually called the most excellent way to lead conference. And, uh, it features Perry Noble, Brad Cooper, Driscoll, Furtick, Ramsey, and Lisa Turkhurst. And, um, so I, I mean, it's a, they definitely have a, uh, you know, a, a, a crazy array of, 
of uh, of speaker pastors, you know, in place there. And um, and again, no. depending on where you want to go, there's a lot of lot of criticism about a guy like Driscoll. Number one, uh, planning a church this early after everything that happened, and then secondly, speaking at things like leadership conferences, given everything that happened. If you're Driscoll, um, man, why are you saying yes to that? And that lineup. I mean, if you want to have any sort of, I guess, respect in the theological community, why do you say why do you say yes to that? Maybe well, maybe I mean, he a, doesn't. Maybe he feels like the ship has sailed with that community. And like, does does he honestly have a chance to to regain his previous status in the the reformedy world? Like, I I feel like he will he will always be a black sheep in that world. Like, as much as we love grace, we don't forgive very easily. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, Piper, that's I mean, I think that's a really important point you bring out because I I think until we see what we've done is we're going to demand. We're going to demand him to repent to us in a way that we deem acceptable right. repentance. Which, and I mean, which, I don't know exactly what that looks which like. Which doesn't exist. Which doesn't exist. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if those attempts, you know, again, we're sitting here not really knowing if those attempts have been made, at least behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I think one of the, one of the interesting things, one of the, one of the, the third news point I have about, about Driscoll, one of the interesting things that he said on a on a uh, on a video he just released, um, like a blog, like a like a like a video blog he just released at the end of the year. He's re-releasing his doctrine book in the middle of 2016, and he's uh, he's retitling it. Um, it's all about Jesus. So I thought that was an interesting move that he's doing. the The first book he's putting out after the debacle it's a re-release on his book on doctrine i don't know if that's just an attempt for him to say you guys i'm still there doctrinally like huh. don't think that i've like jumped the shark doctrinally like i still <clears throat> you know i'm still a reformed guy i well, still hold to it to a high doctrine there's a things. there's a marketing spin on that though because the reason he thought he could get away with titling a book doctrine is because he had such a heavy teaching presence that people would want to know that like follow the doctrine that he laid out Right. Whereas if you actually want to sell books to people who maybe are not as bought into who you are, you have to give it a title that's a little bit more winsome and it's all about Jesus uh is is a lot more winsome. Right. So I So think, I think I don't know, and you guys can speak into that. I mean, I think this you know, I, I mean there's always gonna be right now with Driscoll, really the question that keeps coming up, and it really is one question that keeps coming up with this guy, maybe two questions, but really it all boils down to is this too soon? Is he jumping back in too soon? And was he really repentant? And and, and those are the two questions that just always arise. When, and you can't and, answer one without the other. Like and that's you, the you have to answer the repentance question before you can answer too soon. And the fact is that none of us know. Right. And here's the thing. Mark Driscoll does not owe me an apology. Right. He doesn't. I think there are people who he owes apologies to. I think a public statement of some sort saying, you know, only addressing the ways he dealt with the public, though, like people want the kind of apology as if he was an abusive husband. And that's ridiculous. He Hmm. he owes if he owes the public anything, it's a statement of reassurance that he has gone through or is going through whatever necessary process there is to make things right with the people he hurt personally. Right. And that's just as a way to clear his, that's a way to clear his name with the public. That'd be the only way he could clear his name. And the the fact is that the public will not accept that as good enough because we want to see him grovel. 
right. and uh, we being the, the public, not me personally. And uh, I just, I don't know if it's too soon, but it's, I don't know that anything would ever be far enough down the road for the, the public to be comfortable with it. Well, fellas, how does the Happy Ranch show grace to Drisky? Wow. I might visit um, his church next time I'm in Phoenix. Okay. Like legitimately just say, hey, man, I want, I want to stop in. I want to hear. I'm, I'm. I want to hear the word preached. I want to see what you're doing. I would, I'm curious. I would, abs- I would absolutely visit his church if I was there on a weekend. If I was there during the week, I might swing by. Just, I mean, if if they had a location anyway, and, uh, and swing by and just kind of see it. Like I've I've met him in the past, and I imagine if I ran across him again, it wouldn't. You know, I don't think that door ever closed because I don't feel any bitterness towards him. So right, right. What do you think, Big T? Oh man, yeah, the same. I mean, I've. I have nothing against Drisky. Like, I mean, probably the the best way to show dra- grace for for Drisky is just to leave him alone. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, I you mean kind of like what we're not doing right now? Well, I mean, this is this is small potatoes, but I mean, I yeah, I, I, I guess just letting him try his new thing and and see how it goes, and you know, I I guess I assume that the repentance is legitimate until. I would have reason to think that it wasn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you so you want to think you want to think better of him. Yeah. You want to think best of him with the information that you've been given. All of us have been given, which obviously is going to be minimal because Here's we're not in his I've, circle. I've been shown a lot of grace in my life, so I mean, I want the first step that I take to be to show to show him grace. But um, but but that being said, I, I don't really have a dog in the fight either way. Absolutely. Um, I don't feel personally affronted by by anything that Drisky did, and and but at the same time, I don't want to invalidate all the people who do. Right. And I don't know. I, I mean, I think there are several streams of criticism that were directed at Drisky. Some just kind of, you know, blogosphere nonsense. A lot of it was that. Some were, you know, related to the way that he handled the book business. That's a little bit more legitimate on the continuum. And some were from people who. You know, worked for him, worked with him. That were really mm-hmm. hurt. So, I mean, you don't want to invalidate what uh, what those folks went through, and and far be it for me to to you know say what that was like for them. So, I mean, for for somebody in that camp, maybe it's a lot harder to forgive, and maybe they have a lot more insight as to whether the the repentance was legitimate. But I think from where we sit, you know, you have to you have to err on the side of giving grace and saying, you know what, um, I'm, I'm certainly not validated or saved or approved on the strength of my body of work as a human being. So um, yeah. I would want to extend the, the, the same kind of grace to Drisk. And I, God, you I, sound so emergent right now, Big <laughs> T. You sound yeah. so emergent. I think, I think giving him time is, is also something because assuming and, and sort of betting on his failure right out of the gates is, is definitely the opposite of grace. Yes. Whereas, I mean, a little cautious distance is not ungracious, but giving him time, because if, if in a year or two years or three years, his church is thriving and you see a difference in the way that he's leading, at least from a distance, as much as we have any connection to it, then I think, I think that there's, that's some validation. I, right. Yeah. Well said. Well, gentlemen, this has been a, uh, this has been a fun walk back through uh, emergent church memory lane, man. You know, a lot of late nineties, early two thousands talk. Oh, it was Indeed. great. I feel was... like listening to Third Eye Blind or something like that. Please don't. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a semi-charmed kind of life that we lead, gentlemen, here at the Happy Rant. So with that, uh, we will we will close this discussion. Uh, we've wandered to and fro uh, throughout the 90s. 
and uh, throughout stars of the 90s and early 2000s. And until next time, uh, Rachel the Held Evans. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform. 